Hey everyone, welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and this week we're studying 3 Nephi chapters 20 through 26. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been uh, together. We had a general conference in the middle of that, which for us was wonderful and had a heavy influence on the way that we studied these chapters on uh, on our own and in preparation for this episode. Um, and so we're just glad to be with you. Yeah, hope hoping that all of you out there had a great general conference weekend as well. Um, it's just always fun to have that reset. And I think now more than ever, we were excited to mm-hmm. hear what they said. And I think just the the message the messages are needed for today so we're grateful for that and grateful for um they got the talks up so so soon so quick, after yeah. we were excited because i'm sure many of you are like us and we only can listen to so much with kids. everything going on and kids but um anyway we're just grateful to be back and studying with you today so we have to do our highs and lows before oh, we go yeah. any further yeah okay zach I have a low. Okay. Should I share it? Yes. <laughs> um, so speaking of COVID, the beginning of COVID, I figured this would be a good time for me to try out some new hair things. Like like not doing your hair? Not doing my hair. <laughs> so, you know, the damage of heat and all that stuff, I thought this would be a good time for me to, to grow out, maybe grow out my bangs because I'm always going back and forth on how to whether or not to have bangs. Me too. Poor Zach has to listen to that all the time. Should I cut bangs? Should I grow them out? What should I do? Um, anyway, so that's kind of what I decided. I'm just going to let it let it grow out and see how it goes. And mind you, this is a low. This has not been a pretty six months or however <laughs> long it's been um, because I've just thought, I'm just going to kind of see what my hair does. And it's been a journey to see what it does. And then we moved to a place that's humid and I thought the same thing this is it. I'm just going to kind of let it go and let it go curly. And that didn't really work either. And I'm, I'm feeling low on this journey, Zach. I think with your my hair, hair looks very nice. Oh, well, thank you. Not as That's... nice as my hair because I'm on a hair journey and my hair journey it's is on true. a high. We kind of switched. You gave me Because you were haircut. having a string of what is my hair doing? Mm-hmm. And, and now you're on a high. Uh-huh. We switched. I've got my Equate brand hair styling. Oh, what's it called? Uh, uh, For the first time in Zach's life, he actually has a, a even product. has a hair product that uh-huh. you like. This is big news. But it has to be the Equate brand. You know, the Walmart off brand. It has to be Equate. That's how picky I am about it. Yeah, that's how picky you are. <laughs> anyway, that's my low, but that's your high. So mm-hmm. we fit two in one this week. Um, and if you're wondering a resolution to my hair journey, I do not have one. So we will see and continue how this goes. If you have any it's very exciting. Feel free to send them to us. <laughs> it's not exciting. It's my low, but it's still. What's going to happen next on the hair journey? The end. The end. Well, um, I want to share two thoughts that have captivated me this week and that I think are foundational to understanding these chapters. These chapters in 3 Nephi can sometimes be a bit tricky to navigate through because in the preceding chapters, it's very action-packed. All of 3 Nephi is action-packed. We have the Gadianton robbers 
creating havoc in the beginning couple of chapters. We have people being threatened with death if the sign doesn't happen. And then the signs of Jesus's birth happen. The signs of Jesus's death happen. The world turns upside down for them. The lights go out. They're in the darkness. Then Jesus comes and he heals them and he teaches them. And it's very action-packed. But starting in chapter 20, through the next couple of chapters, Jesus teaches them. And he gives them a lot of scripture that they didn't have uh, in their records, and he wants them to have those records. And so he gives them those scriptures, but he also expounds on those scriptures and teaches them. And it's captivating to read, but you have to have a couple of foundational ideas in place. Otherwise, it kind of gets lost, at least it did for me. So two ideas. Uh, and I'm going to start with these two verses, uh, three verses. Third Nephi chapter 20, starting in verse 11. He says to them, You remember that I spake unto you and said that when the words of Isaiah should be fulfilled, behold, they are written and you have them before you, therefore search them. Verily, verily, I say unto you that when they shall be fulfilled, then is the fulfilling of the covenant which the Father hath made unto his people, O house of Israel. And then shall the remnants which shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth be gathered in from the east and from the west and from the south and from the north, and they shall be brought to the knowledge of the Lord their God who hath redeemed them. Now, two words in there that show up repeatedly in these chapters that I think we have to understand more fully if we're going to understand these chapters better. The first word is covenant. The word covenant means a, an agreement um, a serious agreement between two parties. It's, it's a tying together of God and man. That's what a covenant is. We've done previous episodes on that. But when we study the covenant, we often overemphasize our part and underemphasize God's part. And so I went back to the very original Abrahamic covenant, the covenant that God makes with Abraham. It's in Genesis chapter 15. And it, like many Old Testament stories, is a little bit weird to read to the modern reader because the, the culture and the context is so different. But a couple of ideas help. So roughly, the story is, God makes a promise to Abraham. Abraham, if you remember, is praying for a child. And his prayers have so far gone unanswered, at least un, uh, he hasn't gotten his desire yet. And so God appears to him and tells him that he will grant his desire for a child. In fact, he tells him that he is going to have posterity as numberless as the sands of the sea. And Abraham asks in response, essentially, how do I know that this is going to happen? What's the sign of this covenant? And so God shows him. And he tells him in kind of a weird way. He has Abraham cut animals, gathers a whole bunch of animals, cut them in half. And then separate the two halves and walk through the middle of them. And then God says, that is the symbol of the covenant. And that kind of confuses a lot of readers. But the predominant, in fact, almost overwhelming majority of Bible commentators are really clear. We might be tempted to look at that as in other places uh, in the Old Testament and say, well, what God is trying to show Abraham is that Ab if Abraham doesn't keep his end of the covenant, then this is what will happen to Abraham. Symbolically, he'll be separated and divided. Um, but I don't think that's it. I think what God is saying to Abraham is not, Abraham, this is what will happen to you. I think God is saying, Abraham, this is what I am going to do. Um, I will lay my body on the line 
it will be beaten, bruised, and even torn apart. Uh, if you study crucifixion, not that anyone really studies crucifixion, but if you if you learn about it, death by crucifixion is really death by being pulled apart. The weight of your body pulls your lungs and your chest apart. That's how Jesus died. And so I think the message here is, Abraham, I want you to see how serious I am about this covenant. Uh, this means everything to me. I will put my whole body, my whole soul on the line to keep this covenant. And I think that's important to understand because as we read these chapters, we might be tempted to look for things we need to do as part of the covenant. Not that that's a bad study, but I don't think these chapters are primarily focused on what we need to do to fulfill the covenant. I think they're largely focused on what the Lord does to fulfill the covenant. To help us fulfill the covenant, to yeah. aid us in... in keeping our part of it. Yeah. Right, yeah. The second word that I think, at least my understanding, has increased uh, largely in due to President Nelson's Sunday morning talk in General Conference called Let God Prevail. Uh, the second word is the word Israel. Now, I went back to Genesis 32 to read the original account of that happening. This is Jacob, the son of Isaac, and uh, he, in this account, it says that he wrestles a man. Some translations has it a messenger, and some commentators say that it's some manifestation of God. He wrestles God, maybe in the same way that Enos said that he wrestled God. What exactly it looked like, we don't know. But he wrestles and he loses. Now, I've heard people say, well, Israel means that uh, I can prevail. They've said Israel means one who prevails, but that's not what President Nelson taught. President Nelson taught very clearly to be Israel is to be someone that lets God prevail. Jacob doesn't get this name change because he won. Jacob gets the name change because he lost. Because somewhere in that wrestle, he comes to the realization that his life will be better if he lets God prevail. If he lets God work in his life without stopping God by his own exercise of agency, something for Jacob changes that day. A humility and a submissiveness enters into his life, which is why his name is changed. And so those two words together, covenant and Israel, I think are really powerful to our study this week. First of all, as we're reading 3 Nephi 20 through 26, we have to understand this isn't about what we need to do to keep our part of the covenant, though those insights may come to us. It's about what God has done and is doing to keep his part of the covenant. And Israel, it's, a, it's information, it's teachings, and it's principles that will help us not prevail ourselves, but that will help us let God prevail in our lives. So the question we ask ourselves as we studied this week, based on all of this, is what truths did we learn about the Lord, about what he has done or what he's doing for the Nephites uh, that make us want to let him prevail in our own lives? What's he doing here that we want to let him do for us? And Zach, you already mentioned President Nelson's talk that we just felt fit along so well with these chapters that we're studying um, but he asks a similar question and asks a few more, actually, in his talk, Let God Prevail, from last week. He says, are you willing to let God prevail in your life? And I think that's a great question. Mm -hmm. Are you willing to, which is a, a similar question that's what inspired this mm -hmm. today, but 
Um, are you willing to let God prevail in your life by noticing what he's doing? Mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of it. And these chapters have helped me to see that. So to start off, um, one of the things that we'll notice right off in starting in chapter 20 is that he provides the sacrament again to the people. It just says, starting in verse 3, And it came to pass that he break bread again and blessed it and gave to the disciples to eat. And what's interesting is in chapter in verse 6, it says, Now there had been no bread, neither wine brought by the disciples, neither by the multitude. But he truly gave unto them bread to eat and also wine to drink. And I just, I couldn't help one of my favorite stories is when Jesus changes the water to wine at the wedding feast. And I love that story. I love that these simple miracles that happen because he wants to show his power. And this one's really subtle. It doesn't even say they were amazed because bread appeared and water was there and wine was there for them to have the sacrament. Jesus just provided for them. And I think it's a lesson for us that shows us how willing God is to help to fulfill his end of the covenant. He wants us to partake of the sacrament, to remember him. And in this case, and I think in many cases, he does, we don't even recognize that he's providing the bread for us, the water for us, the, the means for us to allow him to prevail in our lives. Are we recognizing what he's doing for us that allows us to make these covenants? I hope that's making sense. I, I'm feeling it in my heart, but I don't know if I'm explaining it exactly well, right. No, it's, it's kind of that idea that um, he knows that if we're obedient to his commandments, it brings blessings. Um, but in order for us to be obedient to his commandments, he also knows that we need help. And so he helps us to obey the commandments that give us blessings that he's going. So he gives us what we need to obey the commandments. Then he gives us the blessings after we obey. It's on every end from every angle. He's trying to help us and bless us and guide us and give us. He gives us the means to, in order to obey and to allow him to prevail. I'm going to do this because I want you to fulfill your covenants. I'm on your side. I'm cheering you on. I'm going to do a miracle that you're not even going to notice in order to help you help you fulfill your end of the covenant. And I love this um, in verse nine. Now, when the multitude had all eaten and drunk, behold, they were filled with the spirit and they did cry out with one voice and gave glory to Jesus, whom they both saw and heard. Um, Let's let him prevail so that we can feel that too. It's really, really good. That's really good. Um, Mine is kind of on the other end of the block in chapter 24. And this is Malachi chapter three is one of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament. Um, and so I love that it, Jesus teaches it here in these chapters as well. But again, it's one of those places where I think we get a little bit myopic, as President Nelson said. We focus too much on what this means for us and not uh, as much on what it means about the Lord. So this is the chapters, the famous verses about tithing, right? Uh, verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? And then verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that may be meat in my house. And of course, we always point out the blessing there, right? That the windows of heaven will be opened and I'll pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. 
But the idea of sacrifice, this is specifically related to tithing, but I think it applies to all sacrifice, actually goes back to the verse verses before. Verse 6, um, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from my ordinances, and you've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you say, wherein shall we return? How shall we return, is the question. That's the question to which the Lord provides the answer of sacrifice. And so what I love about these is, what's something I learn about the Lord that makes me want to let him prevail in my life? Well, it is that when he asks me for sacrifice, whether it's tithing or whether it's a sacrifice of time or a sacrifice of will or a sacrifice of self, whatever the sacrifice is, he's doing it to help me return to him. As if I'm out in the field wandering and I need to give up the thing that I want so that I can come back and receive the thing that he wants to give me. And again, he's there on all sides of that. I see him uh, at the beginning helping me to uh, see the sacrifice I need to give. Then he helps me to give up what I need to give up. And then once I give it up, he blesses me for it. Um, I wrote uh, an entire thesis on this idea um, when President Lorenzo Snow, back 100 years ago, was emphasizing the law of tithing. That's been kind of immortalized in that famous seminary video where uh, if they pay their tithing, then he promises them rain. And my whole thesis was about how it didn't happen exactly that way. In fact, the promise he gave them was much bigger than just rain. He promised them that if they would pay tithing, the Lord would change their hearts and make them Zion. That's the reason why he asked for the sacrifice of tithing. It wasn't because he wanted the money, and it wasn't just because he wanted to bless them temporally with rain or prosperity. It's because something about sacrifice engenders in us Zion. And I love that about him, and I've noticed that in my life, that when he asks or when I sacrifice, that my heart changes. Isn't that what it's all about? Maybe that's just because that's where I'm I'm trying to work on for myself, but that idea of allowing God to prevail is that change of heart sometimes that can mm. be really tricky. So I love that he's helping us work on that. It takes sacrifice to let him prevail. I have to give up what I want to do or what I want to have happen in order to let him do what he's going to do and what he wants to have happen. Mm -hmm. And knowing that in the end, that's the better thing anyway. Mm -hmm. um, something that really struck me this is another from General Conference, actually. I couldn't help but see, and I felt like it was in a lot of talks, and I've only found one so far that I really remember it was in. Maybe it was just one of those things that I needed to hear. Um, but the phrase that stuck out, stuck, stuck out, stuck out, stood out, stood stuck. out, stuck out, stood out to me. Um, sticked out. Sticked out. That's it. <laughs> was the word um, nurturing. It was in a talk called I Believe in Angels by Elder Godoy. And he mentioned just that as he was converted, as he came to the church, what he needed was what President Hinckley called, you know, everyone needs 
three things, a friend, a responsibility, and nurturing with the good word of God. And for some reason, he, he used that word nurture a few times in his talk. And I loved the idea of being nurtured by the good word of God. And so that was on my mind that so often we think of the scriptures as maybe a to-do. It's something to read. It's something to study. It's something to um, pull apart and pick apart and find out the word meanings and find out all these things. But um, sometimes we just need it to nurture us. And I think that was the intent that, that one of the many reasons that we have the scriptures. Um, so when I came to these chapters, I always just love when Jesus quotes scripture. I love when he teaches from the scripture because I think that is a huge lesson for us. Even Jesus teaches from the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's so much that can be learned from them. And I think that proves it to us. So he teaches from Isaiah and Malachi in these verses. Zach already mentioned Malachi too. Um, And he gives them a commandment in the beginning of chapter 23. And now behold, I say unto you that ye ought to search these things. Yea, a commandment I give unto you that ye search these things diligently. For great are the words of Isaiah. And he, because surely he spoke about all of the, my people, the house of Israel, all of these things. He's wanting to teach us these things. So much value in it. And I guess what I just kept thinking was, maybe we need to not just diligently search those things. We need to be doing that, but let's let them nurture us. Let's let God, God's word nurture our hearts. Um, we say at the beginning of our, our podcast episode to discover, invest and connect. And I use that word a lot. I read the scriptures so I can connect with God. And I thought maybe I need to read the scriptures more often so that he can nurture me and nurture my heart and really teach me these things. We're taught to daily study in the scriptures. And obviously Jesus was that he knew the scriptures. He recited them. He, that's how he taught people. Um, and I think for us, as we allow the scriptures to be something more than that for us, um, I think they're a way that God will nurture our hearts and nurture who we are and bring us up and that we can allow him to prevail because they teach us to communicate we're told to be in the scriptures each day. And I think there's more than just because it connects us to God and it helps us see him. Those are certainly things, but I think it's a way that allows us to be nurtured by him and that he teaches us through the prophets, through these people who are really practiced at being with him, how that we can do then do the same thing to be with God, to let him prevail. Well, we've shared this idea many times before that we talk a lot about this being the living word of God and about God living. We testify all the time. I know that God lives. I know that the Savior lives. And if they're alive, then they do stuff, which is not a very fancy way of saying that <laughs> testimony. But, And one of the things that they do is they speak. And the way that they speak is through Scripture. Of course, we can approach the scriptures and learn from the past and apply it to us now. But there's an extra level of scripture study that comes, not just when we're looking for lessons from the past that we can apply to our own lives, but when we are in the very moment feeling like God is speaking directly to us through the scriptures. And isn't that what nurture means? Mm -hmm. I think that's why I liked it, because to me, that feels like a word that signifies this 
I'm with you through this. Mm -hmm. I'm with you through this life, through this trial, through whatever you're going through. And I want to help you, help you get through it. Let him nurture us. That's really good. And that's a great way to let him prevail. Well, and especially for right now, um, when we have so many limitations on outings and social exchanges and even on our church meetings, one thing that is never limited is our relationship and our connection to God. We don't have to social distance from him. We don't have to wear a mask. Uh, He doesn't have scheduled timed entry into prayer. It's always available all the time, and it happens in these scriptures. And that was certainly another theme in conference, too, was was that idea of you don't need to distance yourself from God, even though there's a lot of things you have to distance yourself from right now. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, um, the last one I found, at least I want to share, is in the end of chapter 21, uh, of course, with Israel comes the gathering of Israel. And there's a lot in these chapters about gathering Israel. And of course, President Nelson focused his comments on what it actually means to be gathered. Uh, It made me think as I was listening to him, there is, of course, a physical gathering of Israel where we are trying to physically gather people together, whether we're gathering um, those who don't know about the Savior yet and gathering them to him, or those who have distanced themselves from him and we're inviting them to come closer to him or uh, gathering uh, just those that are uh, disciples of Christ and trying to gather us together to nurture each other in faith. There's those kind of physical gatherings. But this uh, talk from President Nelson seemed to focus more on a spiritual gathering. And as I reflect on that, I wondered, am I fully gathered, uh, quote unquote, as Israel? Because he explained that being gathered as Israel means accepting that God needs to prevail in your life. And I wondered, am I truly Israel? Am I truly the kind of person that lets God prevail in my life? So this stood out to me at the end of chapter 21, verse 28. Yea, and then shall the work commence which the Father, with the Father among all nations in preparing the, where, preparing the way whereby his people may be gathered home to the land of their inheritance. And then shall go out from all nations, and they shall not go out in haste nor in flight, for I will go before them, saith the Father, and I will be their rearward. And then he goes right into this from Isaiah. And then shall that which is written come to pass. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing, and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Um, That phrase I've never understood until I phrased it in this context of gathering. And it made me think, I wonder if one aspect of what Jesus is teaching us today through these verses is that in the world that we live in, unfortunately, more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife. Meaning there are far more people who are not Israel um, and who don't have the benefits of feeling the Savior's active involvement in their life or recognizing it, then there are Israel. There are so many people who are not just socially distanced, but spiritually distanced. Um, And for many different reasons. Of course, there are people that are distanced because they want to be, but there are so many more people that are distanced, not because they want to be, but because society has distanced them 
Um, president, there were many talks about, of course, race and the distance that that enforces. Um, so other social issues that cause those feelings of distance. And as I thought of those and read that, I just thought, how true is it that more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife? There are so many. And so the solution is, verse 2, Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thy habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. In other words, let's open the tent. Let's open the doors. And let's go out and gather as many people as we can, um, not physically, not socially, but spiritually. Can we reach out to those that feel desolate or feel distanced and invite them to come closer to the Savior? Um I've been teaching online, and it's of course, has its drawbacks, but one of the great benefits of teaching online is these online tools that we're now becoming so proficient with have opened so many doors for us in reaching out and gathering so many people. In my classes, we've got people from all across the country that are attending this class and gathering together and helping and strengthening each other. And so as I thought that and thought of everything that the Lord is doing for us, one thing I think is... He's trying to get us to open our own minds, our own hearts, our own tents to others and to invite them in, to invite them to be a part and to maybe heal the world with a bit more love and welcoming than we've had previously. Well, thank you for listening this week. We hope it's a great week for you and your people all around. Thanks for being here. Have a great week.